is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Therese Murphy, a former nonprofit development executive who found herself unemployed during COVID. Facing the need to make money, she takes a job as a hostess at a restaurant she had frequented as a customer. Hear her recount the many lessons she learned from her hardworking coworkers and many customers about the human condition to be both kind and cruel. Please welcome Therese Murphy. Welcome, Therese, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the show off by asking one question, and the question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging, that might have redirected the course of your life? Well, I'm 60, so there have been a few over the years, but the most recent one was I spent 20 years as a nonprofit fundraiser. And toward the end of 2020, I lost my job because of COVID and other things. And I wound up for a year working in a restaurant as a hostess and working the counter. And it was just an incredibly moving experience to me. And I learned so many things. It will not redirect my career. It's not something I want to continue to do. (laughs) I just have so much admiration for the people I worked with. And I would not have skipped the experience for anything. Really? So let's go back to your nonprofit career. So did you work with big nonprofits or smaller nonprofits? Could you give us a sense of areas in which you focused? I work mostly with local. I'm here in Central Florida. The area that I sort of specialized in was violence against women. I worked for several domestic violence shelters and a rape crisis center, and I was development director of Planned Parenthood of Greater Orlando for a year. But I also did a lot of consulting and freelance work as a fundraiser. And I know that COVID shifted a lot of things for a lot of people. So do you think your losing the job was COVID-related or age-related? More COVID-related. I was actually not fundraising. I was working at the LGBT Center I had quit my last job a couple years before to be with my mom through the end of her life. She was a single mom. My dad died when I was four. She raised us alone. And as it came close and it was pretty obvious that she wasn't going to live much longer, she was 93, I stayed home with her. After she died, I hadn't given any thought to what I was going to do next. And somebody called me and said, they need someone to run a program for gay seniors at the senior center. Oh, wonderful. And I'm not part of the LGBT community, though I am a proud straight ally. And I wasn't quite a senior and I'd never run a program, but I absolutely loved the job. I had done it for two years when COVID hit and it gave me a real sense of purpose during COVID because LGBT seniors are actually even more isolated than the general population of seniors. And so keeping our group together and getting them to learn how to Zoom and you know, just keeping them in touch 
and able to reach out to each other and to the center. It was a really fulfilling thing to do at that time. So how long into COVID did that job come to an end? At the end of 2020. And I had gone a bit of that year without getting paid before I went months without getting paid. I know that Florida COVID rules differs. So at what point did you then embark upon this next career shift, which was to work in the restaurant hospitality industry? It was about two months between jobs. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. There wasn't anything going on in nonprofit. Nobody was hiring. Certainly nobody needed a consultant. And I was trying to figure out, I got to do something just to bring in money till this thing is over. A friend texted me a photograph and said, hey, this restaurant that we both go to all the time is a half mile from your house and they need help. And I applied and got the job. Did you start out as a waitress or? I started out as a hostess in the dining room. I've never worked in the restaurant industry, but I can only imagine the parade of humanity that you must (laughs) have seen. Yes. I would imagine that seeing somebody misbehaving in front of you is also a way to put the mirror up to yourself. It's like a moment to go, hmm, could I be in that position? And would I be acting out like a two-year-old? And do I have the capacity for that? Therefore, make you slightly more reflective of your own behavior. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think all of us think that we're good customers, we're good guests in a restaurant or a store or whatever. But then once you see people and how demanding they can be and unreasonable at times, how absolutely kind and generous and wonderful they can be at other times, it's hard not to notice that the restaurant kind of brought out the best and the worst in people, you know, from the people who would be angry if they couldn't get the booth they wanted with the server they wanted in the middle of a busy lunch. My first week or two, somebody handed me $80 and said, please let me buy lunch for the cops over there. It was just such a weird microcosm, and it was such an odd time because people were just starting to go back out. It was very early 21. People were getting vaccinated. The restaurant did have a very large senior population, partly because we're Florida. And so people who really had isolated were just starting to come out again. I've been noticing, and I've been talking about this with other friends in different industries, I feel as though... Like the fourth wall came down during COVID. (laughs) People have forgotten how to behave is not the right word, but how to interact with the greater world in a way. (laughs) And it's something that I've noticed. People's behavior is different. And it's as if they're having to reacclimate themselves to living in the greater society after having been kept indoors for two years. So did you notice that in your job? I did, although I was never really sure. I had worked the polls in 2020 here in Central Florida. Other than that, I hadn't worked a job with the general public in 25 years. No, 35 years, probably. So I was always asking the servers that I work with, because many of them were career servers, is this normal? You know, Do people usually <laughs> do this? This is a silly example, but we wore black jeans and One day I stuck a piece of paper in my back pocket and it was kind of sticking out at the top. And a woman stopped me and said, there's something in your pocket sticking out. I said, oh, okay. And I reached for it, but it wasn't falling out. It was just sticking out at the top. And I said, it's fine. I know it's there. And she said, but it's really annoying me. Would you please take it out? (laughs) I mean, I just can't imagine going into a store and telling someone what's in your pocket is annoying me, you know? So things like that happened all the time. And they were funny like that to more serious things where people 
wrote terrible reviews online or stiffed a server for a very large tip, you know, or on a large order. It was all over the map. But I do think that people were a little out of practice in going out and they're anxious. We all had some anxiety, not just about the disease, but about re-socializing ourselves. And I don't think it always brought out the best in people. I know that you're in central Florida and we know that Florida tends to skew towards the age bracket that's higher than 50. And the politics are such. So were people masking and were you working during the period in which people didn't have to mask or show their vaccination or any of that? Yeah. When I started in the restaurant, everyone was still masking. But as anyone who reads the paper knows, Florida had very liberal policies about masking. We did it less than anyone else. Often our county mayor would require or ask people to mask when the governor was saying they didn't have to. So there was a lot of confusion. And because we do have more seniors, I felt like they were for the most part, better about masking. But at least once a week, I had to argue with someone or get a manager who wouldn't. Oddly enough, it seemed to be the worst on Sunday mornings when the afternoon. <laughs> our Sunday brunch was our busiest time. And it just seemed like that was when we had all, you know, party of eight would come in and refuse to mask. And I couldn't sit them. So we'd have to get a manager and they'd argue. I would think that Coming from, I'm sure you were a grant writer, right, when you worked in development? Yes. So coming from a world in which you're doing good and you're of service to organizations or people and you're using your brain in a very particular way, then making the shift to standing in front of a restaurant and seating people, was there a moment where you felt a sense of humility or understanding of humanity or just plain pissed that this is where you were at that moment in your life? You know, I didn't really get angry till the end. And that was partly because of the company I work for and the way they were treating people. In the beginning, I am a sociology major and I found it fascinating. I really did. I hadn't done anything like that in a really long time. And I did find early on that as a host, what could make me useful was to be helpful to the servers who were for the most part, people who were supporting themselves. There were a couple of kids in college, but for the most part, we worked with a lot of career servers and they were excellent at their jobs and they worked harder than anyone I've ever known. That gave me a sense of purpose. I could help these really lovely people that I worked with, get people in and out, help them get drinks, keep things moving, control the flow of the restaurant. And so that made me feel useful. I suspect that a lot of people who came into the restaurant who I knew were maybe a little embarrassed for me that I was doing this work, but I didn't feel bothered by the nature of the work. I wasn't thrilled with the money, of course. There is something very rewarding about being physical all day. I would work 13-hour shifts without a break. I eventually learned how to work the takeout counter, but everyone in that restaurant carried trays and cartons of frozen food because as time went on, being short-staffed was the biggest problem. We never had enough staff. Oh, yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit and the ramifications on the staff and sort of the business itself? The industry was undergoing a big change at the time and people were leaving. Part of it, of course, was in the beginning, there were stimulus checks and unemployment, but that wasn't going on much after I started. It was people seeing how hard they worked, how little money they made and leaving the industry and trying to find 
other things. Those soft skills that they talk about in a restaurant, being able to, you know, deal with stress and adjust to people and sell people on things, those are skills that are somewhat marketable in other places. We didn't have enough servers, but what we didn't have were cooks, bussers, counter workers, deli workers. We just never, ever caught up. And when I left a month ago, and at that point, we were probably at our lowest point for staff. You made reference to the fact that you left kind of not on good terms. <laughs> right. Can you kind of elaborate as to what happened after you being in this job for a period of two years? What well, was one year? It was exactly, it was about one year and two weeks. We had gotten a new manager. We were going through managers like every couple months, general managers of that location. That was partly because of the changes in the industry and partly because the corporation had sold. And so people had left that had been with the company a while. And the latest manager was a young man who was just very difficult. He was disorganized. He didn't know what he was doing. We never had enough. We were told all the time, well, supply side problems. You know, we'd come in for breakfast and there'd be no cream, no coffee, no mugs, no champagne when mimosas were one of our specialties for brunch and that kind of stuff. Where my ego got in the way, where I didn't mind the kind of work or catering to customers or helping servers, when the management didn't treat us well, that's where my ego got in the way and I would just get so frustrated. And toward the end, we never had bussers. Sometimes I was doing two people's jobs. Now, the servers often took care of me by tipping me and I could double or triple what I would make, but still 13 hours of doing two people's jobs is exhausting and so... One of our busiest days, I was scheduled 9 to 9.30 on Sunday and 9 to 9.30 on Monday. And I asked the manager a question. He had been terse and rude and dismissive to me. And he walked away and wouldn't answer. And six people had quit that week in that location. We were a staff of, fully staffed, maybe 50. And I just thought, I can't do it. I can't be here another 12 hours and then do it again tomorrow and not even be acknowledged. I took off my apron and handed it to a friend and said, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to give my two weeks notice. You're at a point now, I guess you're reassessing and trying to figure out what this next phase of your life may look like. Do you think that you're going to go back to nonprofit work and grant writing? Or do you see yourself doing something completely different? I don't know. I imagine grant writing will be one of the things I do just to make money because I've done it off and on for 30 years. And it's something where I can get a really good hourly pay if I don't join an agency and get benefits like I did for 20 years. I'm a writer and I worked for a magazine and I've sold writing and I would like to do that, but I've never made it the focus before. That's something that I want to put some time and energy into. If I have to get another low paying job like I did for a year, I would do that too. It wouldn't be terrible to me. I have another five to 10 years to work before I retire. Those are the things I'm looking at. And I really loved my nonprofit work. I love the agencies for which I worked. But raising money is a high stress situation. And 20 years might be enough. I'm just not absolutely sure yet. I've served on nonprofit boards and I always had great respect for anybody who was in the position of development, because really your job is to ask for money all the time. And it takes a certain kind of personality to be able to do that with great finesse. And also, 
I guess, a sense of humility, right? Because this cultural idea of asking people for money is essentially like you're begging for something. Right. And you are. So did it working for an organization that helps others, like does that take the sting away from what it means to be asking someone for money? Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's also something you get used to. You know, the actual ask, picking up the phone and saying, we have a campaign right now, can you give five grand, was really hard in the beginning. And then I could do it without blinking after. I was very fortunate in that I never worked for an organization, not even freelancing, that I didn't believe in. And that does make it easy. It also makes it more stressful. If you don't do your job well and not everything is under your control as a fundraiser, people could lose their jobs or clients could lose much needed services. There was a point at the restaurant where I was struggling with another worker who was basically kind of bullying me. I was learning the counter and I had just come out of the hospital. I was diagnosed with a bleeding ulcer last year in the middle of all this. This woman was just very rude and telling me I wasn't learning fast enough and it occurred to me that I had had jobs where a bad day at work was a client lost their life because of abuse. That's a real different kind of stress. I could put up with a rude coworker, you know. What things about your own personality did you learn during this year and so many days? What I learned, I think, the most was that I actually really like that kind of helping people. The servers I work with impressed me so much. One of the things that I learned early on, we had many, many problems with people who bust the tables. And everyone says the cooks are the divas of restaurant industry. Well, for us, they were always busters. And very early on during a terribly busy lunch when we were short-staffed, the buster yelled at me on the floor because my job was to tell him what I needed next. You know, I need table 31. Can you please put those tables together? Blah, blah, blah. And he yelled at me, and that had happened twice before. But this time, the only manager in the building was a very young woman, and she fired him. The two men that had heard him do it earlier didn't do that. But here we were then with this terribly busy lunch and all these servers who were overworked and trying to give a good enough service that they'd get tipped. And nobody said anything. They just all dropped what they were doing Everybody bust. Everybody helped each other out. A couple of them came up to me and asked if I was okay. So I guess they heard this guy yelling. But it was like a really moving example of people in a, we're all in this together. Nobody complained, you know, when each have nine tables when they should have had six. And in between, they'd run in the kitchen and grab a bin and go out and wipe a couple tables and empty them and run them back in the kitchen. And the dishwasher came out and helped me bust tables I learned that that was kind of fulfilling to help these people make maybe a slightly better living because I could control the flow of the restaurant and keep things moving and calm customers after 20 years in nonprofit. There was not a complaint that bothered me. I could deal with anything and usually talk them down. So that was a part of the job that I actually really liked. I gained so much respect for the people that I worked with. Like I said, these were some of the hardest working people I've ever met. And none of them gets a paid day off. None of them had health insurance. It was a whole world that I hadn't experienced. Other than this understanding that you have or draw great satisfaction from being a caretaker or caregiver, 
What else did you learn? Like, did you learn any limitations about yourself? I learned that I do run out of patience, (laughs) especially um, when I'm, you know, working for a 26-year-old who's rude. And that was one of the reasons I left was that I really did feel that eventually I was going to do it inappropriately with a difficult customer or somebody. And I never wanted to do that. I always felt like if I sat somebody who's already angry or feels put out or doesn't feel affirmed, then that's going to impact the money that the server that has to help them. So no matter how rude somebody was or how difficult, I always tried to joke them and, you know, get them kind of to come around before I sat them because I made the same money either way, but that wasn't true for everybody there. It's so fascinating because you have such a positive attitude. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard an interviewee say, oh, by the way, I also had a bleeding ulcer. (laughs) (laughs) And make light of it. You know, bleeding ulcers, fairly serious. So what is in your background and upbringing or is it personality that enables you? Because you're clearly someone who makes lemonade out of lemons. Oh, I never thought of myself that way, but maybe. Have you ever sort of extrapolated for yourself? What is it within you that has that kind of strength? Was it learned behavior from home or is it just an internal thing that you understand about yourself? Wow, that's interesting. I think some of it is experience. I never felt like I had an easy life. I had a lot of trauma as a child, including my father died of a heart attack in our apartment when I was four years old. We lived in Brooklyn at the time, by the way. I'm a native New Yorker. Six weeks to the day, we lived in a four-unit brownstone in Brooklyn. And six weeks later, one of our neighbors fell asleep in bed with a cigarette and the house went on fire. So twice in two months, my family woke up in the middle of the night and I was four years old and we had to go running out and get help and call an ambulance. And the fire was bad enough that people died in the fire. So I think that maybe that did make me stronger. I did spend a lot of years in therapy, figuring out myself and trying to deal with kind of that and other traumas. And I think my age helped. I'm at a point where it takes a little bit more to get me too upset. You know, things that might rattle a 30-year-old don't rattle me as much at this age. I haven't had an easy life, but I've had a pretty good life and things have worked out in the end. I think if someone had told me the day I started at the restaurant that I would be there a year, I would have been shocked. But between the ulcer and the time off and everything, it did come out to a year. You kind of made reference to perhaps traumas instilling this great capacity to survive. Can you pinpoint another trauma that could have shaped that kind of grit that you have about you? Well, I was sexually assaulted in high school at a party. That really was what led to my career in nonprofit. When I came out of college, I intended to go back and get a PhD in sociology, study political economy. As a matter of fact, I taught social problems for a few years. But I wound up becoming a librarian here in Orlando for eight years. I found a place that would hire you without an MLS. They just paid us less. And I really enjoyed it. But during that time, I started dealing with my sexual assault and I went to group therapy at a nonprofit. And a few years after what they call my recovery was over, I asked if I could volunteer. And it had been about five years. So they said yes. And I thought they would have me, you know, answer phones or dust 
the waiting room or something. It was a sexual assault treatment center. They asked me to fundraise. They asked me to plan an event and write some grants and things. I knew I could write grants because I had done that in college, sometimes for extra money. After a while, I realized I was actually enjoying it more than I liked my library work, which I did like. I don't want to dwell on the sexual assault, but understanding trauma and the ways that we hold trauma in our bodies, do you feel as though your body has held on to some of that trauma even to this day? I don't know. Obviously, something like an ulcer, which people feel is stress-related, makes me wonder that. But I did a lot of therapy that was aimed particularly at releasing the physical aspect of trauma. I did EMDR and some other therapies. And the other thing I should add is that my dad, who I really didn't know because, you know, I was four when he died, he had bleeding ulcers. So I probably came by that pretty biologically. Now that you've left and you made kind of a casual reference to the fact that you wanted to write, what held you back from doing it? You know, like really pursuing it? I think two things. If I'm going to be really honest, it was probably lack of belief in my ability. And my mother, that was not something she ever wanted me to do. I'm not completely sure why. Maybe because someday I'd wind up on a podcast talking about being sexually assaulted. <laughs> I mean, she just <laughs> really didn't want that. And she was very discouraging. She would criticize the poems I wrote in high school, you know, that kind of thing. But also I did have a lot of other passions and interests I think the first time I volunteered for a political campaign, I was 18 and just starting to vote. There's something really satisfying about raising money, especially because I started out in domestic violence and sexual assault. And for me to raise money that helped women get the same kind of excellent treatment that I had gotten and that might have saved my life, you know, that really helped restore me to some kind of mental health, I think... That was a really big draw. I really liked doing that. And a nonprofit fundraising job is not a 40-hour-a-week job. It's way more. Now that you have cleared the path, do you see yourself sitting down and trying to write more professionally? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I've probably been doing that for about five years. I did a lot of writing during COVID because I had time. And I have one national publication that's actually expressed some interest in the stories I've written about the restaurant, but there's no contract. It's not finalized, but that might happen. And I am spending more time editing and seeing where I could publish. The reason you knew about this is the stories I was putting on Facebook. And it's interesting because on one hand, you're saying that you saw the real ugliness of humanity, people's behavior that should never be displayed in public. And then you're saying, on the other hand, you see the beauty and generosity of humanity. So this is like an existential question I always think about. Do you think that people are born with both the capacity for that kind of level of cruelty and kindness? Or do you think that it's something that gets developed because of environment or such? I'm not sure, but I do think we're all born with the capacity for both. And one of the things I do try to remind myself or did when I was in the restaurant was that 
bad behavior on any given day can be situational. It doesn't mean they're a horrible person and I should hate them the next time they come in. So I do think people are capable of both. And I think we're always capable of both. You know, most of us, like I said earlier, I think I'm a nice person in a restaurant, but I'm probably a lot nicer now than I was a year ago, you know. And I think I asked that question of when, you know, you see sort of the panoply of humanity out there, that it is a moment where you could have that self-reflection and asking yourself the question like, wow, could I see myself behaving in the same way or have I behaved in the same way in the past? Exactly. And I guess for me, that would bring up a lot of anxiety and guilt So did you find yourself feeling those emotions or you were just like, you know what, this is a great life lesson. I know now not to move through the world like that. (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think I had guilt so much as if I was then in line somewhere or somewhere where somebody wasn't very good at their job and it was taking me longer or they couldn't do something simple. It reminded me to have patience that I might not have had otherwise. But it also reminded me of saying, I've never gone into a restaurant and offered to pay for someone else's meal. And of course, there have been many, many times I could have done that when I saw law enforcement officers or soldiers or somebody. So it did remind me of all these opportunities for, you know, random acts of kindness that we ignore. And one of the things that was kind of interesting to me was this was 2021. And we had all started learning the, I don't like to use this term because I think it's derogatory, but the Karens of the world who had fits places, you know, and I just never wanted to be that person. And it was always in my mind. And there were plenty of Karens, male, female, black, white, old and young who came into the restaurant. Obviously, you're relieved the job is over. Yes. Is there anything about the job that you miss? Oh, I miss the people. I really do. I miss the regular customers and I miss my coworkers. I don't miss much else. That's a great place to end. I'm going to get to the last question, which is if you could find or name a song that either resonates with you or feels as though it was written for you, what is the song and why? I'm going to say a song that I doubt many people know. It's a song called Love's Glory by Patti Scalfa. I believe I'm saying her name correctly. She is a member of the E Street Band and Bruce Springsteen's wife. This song is about having the courage to put yourself out there and that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. The song is about accepting that and that the effort alone in doing something, especially in a loving way, is worth it. And that's sort of how I felt about this experience in the restaurant. It's not going to change my career. It's probably not going to change my life. But I found it meaningful enough that I think it changed me. And for that reason, I'll never be anything other than grateful for it. Thank you so much for doing this, Therese. Oh, thank you. I know you're on Facebook, so people can find you on Facebook. And then hopefully when you publish whatever this is going to be, you will let us know. I will, absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. 
like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. Okay. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat hey. rack. Focused hey. on the future, not that coulda, yeah. shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.